Well, happy 4th of July to everybody. Yeah. It's a, great, uh, it's a great day to celebrate, unless you're a dog. Unless you're a dog. Not a great day for dogs. About a third of dogs have this acute fear of the noise of fireworks. Yeah, it's a, a syndrome called phonophobia. And in fact, did you know that more dogs run away from home on the 4th of July than any other day of the year? So yeah, oh, it's kind of sad, isn't it? So if you, if you got Fido, you know, put him on a on a short leash today, especially. But and we may think that's a little odd, phonophobia, fear of the noise of fireworks. But you know, people have some unusual phobias as well. For instance, there's triskaidekaphobia, which is the fear of the number thirteen. Some people have that. There's amphilophobia, which is the fear of navels. Turophobia is the fear of cheese. Now, I can understand not liking cheese, but some people are actually afraid of cheese. Um, Globophobia is the fear of the noise of a balloon popping. Nomophobia, I I think I've got this. Nomophobia is the fear of being without cell phone coverage. (laughs) And then there's phobophobia, which is fear of having a phobia, a phobia about phobias. And of course, there are more prevalent fears, fear of of snakes and spiders and rats, which which I think is totally rational, and then fear of heights and claustrophobia. We have all kinds of fears, but the Bible talks about a certain fear that is especially prevalent among people, even though folks don't like to talk about it. And that, friends, is the fear of death, the fear of death. Hebrews 2 verse 15 says, people can actually become enslaved to this fear of death. Even King David feared death at times. In Psalm 55, he describes how his enemies are threatening him and harassing him. And in verse 4, he says, My heart pounds in my chest. The terror of death assaults me. So even David at times was afraid of death. And even though you might not like to dwell on it, maybe your biggest fear is the fear of dying. And this has especially been surfaced during the pandemic that we've all gone through. One Stanford psychiatrist said this, we can never completely subdue death anxiety. It is always there, lurking in some hidden ravine of the mind. I remember when I was an atheist, and and I used to think that death was kind of like uh, the light that goes off in the refrigerator when you close the door. And that at the end of life, that, that I would just cease to exist. The world would go on merrily on its way, but I would just somehow cease to exist forever. And that's a, that's a frightening kind of thought. The Old Testament says in, his, in Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11, that God has planted eternity in the human heart planted eternity in the human heart. Now, the the Hebrew there is a bit obscure, but most scholars say that this refers to God putting a desire in us to live forever. And as a result, a lot of people try to somehow achieve this immortality without God by somehow creating a legacy or leaving a mark on the world through their achievements. Well, my new book is called The Case for Heaven, A journalist investigates evidence for life after death. And for that book, I did a chapter on the fear of death. And I interviewed an expert on this topic, Dr. Clay Jones, who has written a terrific book called Immortal. 
And he talked about four different ways that people cope with this fear of dying. The first one is through denial. Through denial. I mean, how many times do we leave a funeral with the unspoken attitude that says, well, too bad Uncle Bob died, but <laughs> it's certainly never going to happen to me. Right? We just deny that it's ever going to happen to us. We think, well, I'm the exception. You know, if science keeps on marching onward and advancing, and if I live long enough, doctors are going to cure anything that's going to threaten my life. Well, of course, that's just wishful thinking. It's just wishful thinking. Death has a perfect record. 100% of people die. In fact, just during the time it's going to take for us to sit here and listen to this message, 3,710 people worldwide will have died. 3,700 people just in the next 30 minutes. In fact, I'm going to be 70 years old on my next birthday. And when that 70th birthday hits, that will mean that during my lifetime, 4 billion people around the world have died. I mean, denying death doesn't help anything. We're all going to die. The second way people cope with death is through distraction. Jones said to me, we pay entertainers and sports stars huge amounts of money because they're valuable to us. They divert our attention from the fact that we're going to die. And then there's delay. We think if we can just eat the right foods, if we can just exercise enough, somehow, some way, we're going to beat death. And yet a Harvard demographer has done some calculations, and he's found that even if we were to cure all cancers, the average lifespan in America would only increase by less than three years. We'll die of something else. One futurologist came up with a way to live forever. He said by the year 2050, you'll be able to download your mind into a computer so that you'll survive death. But it's a pipe dream. It's a pipe dream. To do that, you'd have to have circuitry identical to the brain, which has a thousand trillion connections. I mean, even if you used artificial intelligence to do 90% of the work, it would take a thousand years just to map all the connections of the human brain. Besides, even if you did produce a machine that was exactly like your brain, nobody has any idea how that system could become conscious. Others try to delay death by having themselves frozen when they die so that they can be thawed out when a cure is discovered for whatever it is that killed them. But that's fraught with problems. You, you ever notice, you know, when you have a, uh, you're pouring a glass of Coke and there's ice in the glass, and you're just pouring the Coke in, what do you hear? You hear a cracking sound, don't you? The ice cracks as you pour the Coke over the ice. That is called by scientists, it's called sonic fracturing. And that's what happened when you try to thaw out a brain or an organ. You get crack, crack, cracking that takes place. And nobody knows how to fix that. One cryonics company said on its website, it said, well, maybe you could sew or glue the parts back together. Now you got Frankenstein, frankly, if you do that. Another way that people react to uh, their inevitable death is through depression, especially among people who don't believe in God. After all, if there is no God, there is no hope. One well-known atheist wrote this, Depression is a serious problem in the greater atheist community, and far too often that depression has led to suicide. 
He said, this is something many of my fellow atheists don't like to admit, but it's true. On the other hand, recent research from Harvard shows that attendance at religious services like we're doing today dramatically reduces depression-related deaths from suicide, drugs, and alcohol by 35% in men and 68% among women. Because see, God brings hope. Other people try to cheat death by living through a legacy or, or trying to be remembered for some achievement that they did so that their name would go down in history. They wouldn't disappear, so to speak. They'd be remembered somehow for doing something great. And in a positive sense, this can motivate people to do wonderful things, to write great books, to paint a masterpiece, to design a cathedral, to uh, create a, a new invention, to make a new scientific discovery. Great things have happened because people are motivated to leave their mark in a positive way in history. But on the flip side of that, it can also prompt people to commit horrific crimes, just so they'll be remembered. After all, why did Mark David Chapman kill John Lennon? Well, he said he wanted a piece of Lennon's fame. He told his parole board that bright light of fame, of infamy, of notoriety was there. I just couldn't resist it. One of the most famous examples of that involves what's known as the Temple of Artemis, which was in ancient Ephesus. It was considered one of the seven, seven wonders of the ancient world. And this was a glorious and magnificent temple. It took 12 decades to build this incredible building. And then in the year 356 BC, a man by the name of Herostratus burned it down. And when they caught him, they said, why did you do it? Why did you burn down the temple? And he was honest. He said, I wanted to be famous. Well, this angered officials so much that they actually passed a law saying that anybody who mentioned his name verbally or in writing would be put to death. And yet, ironically, to this day, the temple lies in ruins. Its patrons and architects have largely been forgotten. But the name of Herostratus is endured in books and in plays. In fact, I noticed he has his own page on Wikipedia. Today, his name is synonymous with someone who commits a crime in order to become famous. Others seek immortality through their families. You know, they, they want to have a big family that will live on, and so their, their memory will endure, that generations from now, at least your name will be kept alive by family members in the future. And yet, that doesn't work either. Let me ask you a question. Do you know the names of your great, great grandparents, their first and last name. Do you know them? I don't. Most people do not know the names of their great-great-grandparents. And if they did, they don't care about them. They just don't care about them. I mean, so much for trying to live on through your family. I mean, let's face it, fame is fleeting. The artist Andy Warhol said, everyone will be famous for 15 minutes. And then a few years ago, a TV commercial said, somebody once said that everyone would be famous for 15 minutes. <laughs> they actually removed his name. Even that fame didn't last for him. 
I remember when they were making a movie about um, the story of my life called The Case for Christ. And I was thrilled when I found out that they had actually cast Faye Dunaway as one of the actresses in the movie. Because in my generation, Faye Dunaway was huge. Academy Award winner, Golden Globe winner. I mean, she was a huge actress in my generation. So I was thrilled she was going to be in our movie. And then I'd go around and I'd tell young people, like somebody 25 or younger, and I'd say, Faye Dunaway's going to be in our movie. And they looked at me like, huh, who? They had no idea who she was. I was just shocked by that. I mean, ultimately, except for maybe a little footnote in history, she will be forgotten. Besides, even if her name did manage to live on somehow in a footnote in history, what does it really matter? She's still dead. It's not going to help her. So it's a challenge to try to deal with death apart from God. As one physician wrote in Psychology Today, I've tried to resolve my fear of death intellectually, and I've come to the conclusion that it cannot be done, at least by me. In his book, Jones sums up the atheistic story of dying without God this way. When you die, your consciousness will cease. Your body will then decay, where, as the Hearst song goes, the worms crawl in, the worms crawl out, the worms play pinochle on your snout. You will have no hope of reunited with loved ones. You'll never again enjoy other people or sunsets or beaches or breakers or mountains or redwoods or roses or anything else for that matter. Soon everyone will forget you. But even if you do become a footnote of history, does that really matter? You're still dead. So what's the answer? What's the answer to this depressing reality? Well, the Bible provides it in Hebrews 2, verse 15, which says this. Jesus set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of death. In other words, Jesus is the answer to to our fear of dying. A robust view of Jesus is the antidote to our fears. You see, in contrast to the hopelessness offered by atheism, Christianity provides the best possible outcome for followers of Jesus after they pass from this world. Reveling in God's presence, reuniting with loved ones, living without tears or struggles or fears, experiencing a, a, a wondrous world of adventure and excitement and exploration of finding contentment and joy and love forever. Be no wonder that even the atheist philosopher, Luke Ferry, conceded this. I grant you, he said, that amongst the available doctrines of salvation, nothing can compete with Christianity, provided, he said, that you are a believer. And I'm convinced that it's rational to believe in the Christian worldview because it's backed up by so much evidence. I mean, I've talked in the past, and I've written a number of books on the historical evidence that Jesus actually did conquer death through his resurrection from the dead. That shows, indeed, that he is the unique son of God that he claimed to be. And that means that his view of the afterlife is definitive. And what did he say about the afterlife? He told his followers in John 14, verses 1 through 3, 
Don't let your heart be troubled. In other words, don't be afraid of death. He said, trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. I mean, I love the way how he paints heaven using this metaphor of home, of home. I don't know if you've ever traveled on a long trip, maybe to a foreign land, and you're far away from home, and you begin to have this homesickness. You want to be back in your own bed. You want to be back in your own home. And finally, when you get home, It's such a relief. It's such a place of warmth and comfort and love and family and security. And that's the metaphor that Jesus chose for the eternity that we will enjoy. We'll be spending a lot more time in that home than we will in our home here in the woodlands. As I was writing my book on the case for heaven, I flew out to Oregon And I spent the day with a friend of mine who's also was one of my heroes and also one of the great evangelists in world history. His name is Luis Palau. He was known as the Billy Graham of Latin America. Through various rallies and um, events that he and his ministry would put on around the globe, Luis shared the gospel to more than a billion people worldwide. A billion people but he had been diagnosed with stage four lung cancer and he was dying. And he knew he only had a short time left in this world. And so I went out to interview him for a chapter in my book because I wanted to hear from someone who didn't just believe in some abstract idea of heaven, but who was getting ready, who was packing his bags to go there in a short period of time. I asked him, I said, Luis, are you afraid of dying? Are you afraid of death? And he thought for a moment, he said, no, really. He said, no, Lee, I'm really not afraid of death. He said, I'm so convinced from Scripture that after I close my eyes for the last time, I go to be with God. The Apostle Paul said that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And he recalled how his father, who was a devout Christian, had died when Luis was just 10 years old. And just before dying, His father sat up in bed, and he sang a hymn about heaven. Bright crowns up there, bright crowns for you and me. And then his head fell back in the pillow, and he pointed upward, and he said, I'm going to be with Jesus. And then quoting Paul's words in Philippians, he said, which is better by far. Luis said his dad taught him how to die with a hymn in his heart and scripture on his lips. And that's what happened to Luis in March of this year, just four months ago, when he closed his eyes for the last time in this world and then opened them in the presence of God forever. You see, it was Jesus who released him and his dad from their fear of death. Luis told me that Jesus was the first person he wanted to see in paradise. He said, the first thing I'll do is fall before him with a heart overflowing with gratitude and praise. He said he wanted to reunite with his dad and with his mom. He wanted to meet the heroes of the faith. 
And he said, Lee, I want to see the throne of God. He said to me, Lee, just read Revelation chapter 4. It's magnificent. It's breathtaking. It'll blow your mind. The one sitting on the throne has the appearance of jasper and ruby. There's a rainbow shining like an emerald. There are flashes of lightning. There are peals of thunder. There's a sea of glass, clear as crystal. There are 24 elders and fantastic creatures with everyone praising the Lord. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He said to me, how much of that is literal? How much of that is a word picture to point us towards something we can't even comprehend at this point? He said, well, Lee, I can't wait to find out. And then he said to me, Lee, I wish I could send you a text from heaven and tell you all about it because I know the journalist in you would want every detail. Friends, why was Luis able to conquer his fear of death? Not because he was a great evangelist or somehow got enough brownie points with, heaven, with, with God to get into heaven, share the gospel with a billion people, so, oh, of course, he gets to go to heaven. No, because of Jesus, and Jesus only was his hope. 1 John 5, 11 says, God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. Luis was a sinner, just like I am, just like you are. But Jesus went to the cross as his substitute to pay the penalty he deserved for all the sins he'd committed. Jesus paid for that, and then he offers forgiveness and eternal life as a free gift of his grace. And that's a gift that Luis eagerly received. It's a gift that I've received. I hope it's a gift that you have received. And that is the basis on which we have confidence that the doors of heaven will someday be flung open for us. So if you fear death, meditate on verses about this message of hope that we find in Scripture. Like 1 Corinthians 15, verse 57, that says, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Thanks be to God, he gives us the victory. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Or 2 Corinthians 5, 1, that says, For we know that if this earthly tent where, uh, we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Or 1 Thessalonians 4 that says, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Or one of my all-time favorite verses, 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9. Get this, get this. No eye has seen no ear has heard, no mind has even imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. I mean, when we think about the glory and the adventure and the excitement and the joy and the wonder of the world to come, the prospect of leaving this life becomes less onerous in our minds. We begin to anticipate what comes beyond the grave. Well, while I was talking with Luis, I asked him, I said, Luis, in all seriousness, let's say that you did have the ability in heaven to send a message back to all your fellow Christians here on earth. What do you think you would say to them? And he thought for a moment, and then he said, you know, Lee, I think I'd say, 
go for it. Go for it. I said, what do you mean go for it? He said, take a risk. Tell others about the good news of Christ. Remember that it's the job of the Holy Spirit to convict them of their sin. He's your partner. Let him do his work in them. You bring them the best news on the planet, that there's redemption, that there's a relationship with God, there's heaven, that there's an eternal party that is waiting for them. And then he told me about how when he was a new Christian, he was just a teenager, uh, living in poverty in South Argentina. His mother was a widow because his dad had passed away. And how his mother would urge him on Sunday morning to take the gospel to the small towns around where they lived that didn't have churches. And he said to me, Lee, she kept encouraging me and pushing me. She'd say, go, 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 go out and reach people with the good news. But he said, I was slow to step out in faith. I said, well, well, mom, um, I'm waiting for the call. And now she was getting upset. She said to Luis, the call, the call, the call went out 2,000 years ago, Luis. The Lord is waiting for you to answer. You're not waiting for his call. And he told me she was right. He said, the Bible makes our task clear. Go out and reach people with the gospel, whether they're friends or family members, neighbors, colleagues, just people we meet along the path of life. He said that should be the default assignment for all of us. The absence of a specific call should never be an excuse for inaction. I asked him, well, did your mom's prodding, did that get you moving? And he said, Lee, it was one of the defining moments of my life. I realized that I didn't need to wait around. Instead, I just needed to do. And he said, that's how I'd encourage my fellow believers. Step out in faith, take action, strike up a conversation with someone far from God. Whether they accept the gospel or not, that's up to them. You can't control that. And then he said something among his final words to me in this world that I'll never forget. He said, Lee, I can tell you from personal experience that at the end of your life, when all is said and done, you will never regret being courageous for Christ. You'll never regret being courageous for Christ. Friends, if you're a follower of Jesus, are you courageous for Christ? Are you courageous for Christ? Are you seeking opportunities to tell others the good news? Are you taking social risks by letting people know there is hope beyond this life? And so many people are desperate these days, and we've seen this churned up by the pandemic. Leslie and I, just a few weeks ago, were having lunch right here in the woodlands, and, 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 and the, the server was a young woman, I don't know, maybe 18 years old, and we got in a conversation with her, and she began to cry. And, and we said, what's wrong? She said, oh, I almost didn't come into work today. She said, we just lost a close family member to COVID. And I thought, here's a young woman, maybe 18 years old, probably never thought about death before until it came knocking on her family's door. And you could see her panic in her eyes. People want hope. They want to know the truth. They want to know the good news. So what do you, what do you say in a moment like that? What do you say when you have an opportunity that God opens up to tell someone the good news? 
Well, one thing you can say is this, you know, you know the Bible uh, has a lot of words in it, 800,000 words in the Bible. But what if I could summarize the entire message of the 800,000 words with one sentence, one verse, just 21 words? Would you be interested? Yeah, I'd like to know. Okay, here it is, Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death. In other words, what we've earned, what we deserve because of our wrongdoing, our rebellion, our failure to follow the, the, the laws of God, what we have earned and deserve is death, which means eternal separation from God. Friends, that's what hell is. But the good news is, the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. A free gift. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. You didn't merit it. It's a free gift. And just like any gift, it only becomes yours when you receive it in gratitude. I mean, that's a pretty easy way to describe the good news. One sentence. It sums up the whole thing. So here's an idea. Here's a suggestion. Here's a challenge for you. Why not memorize that one sentence? 21 words. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus told us to live like salt. In other words, to make people thirst for God. To live like light that shines his message of redemption and, and hope into dark areas of despair. And if you're ready and you're willing, God is always able to change lives and change eternities. One sentence, 21 words, the most important bit of information on the entire planet. Well, then finally, I asked Luis, I said, Luis, if you did have the opportunity to send back a message from heaven to those who are not yet followers of Jesus, what would you say? And he thought for a moment, and then with a twinkle in his eye, he said, I think I'd say, don't be stupid. <laughs> and we laughed. You, you got to know Luis. Luis is one of the most winsome people you ever would have wanted to meet. He didn't mean it in any offensive way. He, he, he just meant, meant it to say, do the smart thing. Don't be stupid. Do the smart thing. He said, don't pass up what God is offering out of his love and grace. Why embrace evil when goodness beckons? Why turn your back on heaven and choose hell? Why expose yourself to the harmful side effects of a sinful life when you can follow Jesus' path of righteousness and healing? He said, don't miss the party that God has waiting for you in heaven. That's the party that Luis is attending at this very moment. Friends, is it easy to die? No, it's not. My mom went through a very long and protracted bout with cancer before she passed from this world. And guess what? Jesus walked her through that difficult situation 
And in light now of where she is in an eternity of bliss and wonder and joy, I know that that difficult time has now faded to her to insignificance. It's natural that we don't want to leave our loved ones behind. It's natural that we would have some trepidation over the possible pain that we would experience during the death process. I get that. Luis got that. Jesus gets that. And that's why Jesus promises to be with us, to help us, to guide us, to comfort us, to encourage us. Deuteronomy 3.16 says, So be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not panic, for the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. Friends, when you get toward the end of your life, remember this. The best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Death is merely a doorway to, to, to an existence that is more satisfying, more joyful, more fulfilling than anything you've ever encountered in this world. And Jesus has flung open the gates for all who come to him in repentance and faith. I mean, maybe the reason you fear death is you have this anxiety. Um, have I done enough? Have I, have, have I achieved enough to make sure that I'm going to go to heaven? So you live in a state of anxiety and apprehension. I didn't lead a billion people. I didn't, I, I didn't share the gospel with a billion people during my life. Maybe I haven't done enough. Maybe I've fallen short. Every other religion is based on a scale. Do your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds? And Jesus says, no, no. We've all sinned. You've all sinned. We've all sinned. And Jesus says, I have paid the penalty that you deserve. And I offer forgiveness and eternal life as what? A free gift free gift of my grace. And anyone who receives that in repentance and faith can have confidence as they approach the end of their life that it will be a doorway to a better life to come. The Bible says in 1 John 5.13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know that you have eternal life. God says you can know, you can have confidence, you can face death with confidence, knowing that your future is secure, that you will spend it with God forever. Have you done that? Have you received that free gift? As Louise said, don't be stupid. Do the smart thing. Let me offer an opportunity. If, you never, if you're not sure if you've ever done it, let me give you an opportunity. Resolve that right now, and then I'll close my time with a prayer for all of us. So let's close our eyes and bow our heads. And if you want to Know for sure that you're bound for heaven to dissipate this fear of death that maybe you don't even want to acknowledge. That in your heart, just pray these words. God will hear you. Just in your heart, say, Lord Jesus, as best I can, I do believe that you are the Son of God. You proved it by returning from the dead. And right now, I confess the obvious. I am a sinner. I've done things I knew they were wrong before I did them, and I did them anyway. And I'm sorry. I want to turn from that. 
And in an attitude of repentance and faith, I want to receive. I want to receive this free gift of forgiveness and eternal life that you purchased for me on the cross. Help me to live the kind of life that you want me to live. Because from this moment on, I am yours. And now, Father, we are grateful for those that have taken that step of faith, that have received this free gift of forgiveness and eternal life provided through your Son. We celebrate that. And we thank you that we live in a land where we can proclaim that truth without fear of persecution. We thank you that we have the freedom to declare that there is hope beyond the grave and that comes in the form of a free gift of your grace through your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray and all God's people said, amen. God bless you. You know, if you've taken that step and received that free gift, tell somebody. Tell us here at the church. If you're watching online, there's a a button you can push to kind of raise your hand and say, I've taken that step. Let someone know. Let this be the beginning of a great life in this world of excitement and joy, anticipating the world to come. God bless you. Hey, church. Thanks for listening to the Woodlands Church with Carrie Shook podcast. By listening, we hope that you're encouraged wherever you are. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that you can get the latest messages each week. For more information on Woodlands Church, check out the description for a link to our website and how to connect with us. We hope you have a great week.